This is Rob McClellan with Think Smart with TMFG. I'm a senior advisor with the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management. Today, I thought I would do something a little different for our audience. Today, I've brought with me a special guest. We will be talking today to Mr. Don Proto, who is a fellow financial advisor at Asante Capital Management. Uh, Don and I have known each other for over 25 years. Don has actually been a financial advisor for over 39 years. So, Don, welcome to Think Smart. Glad to be here, Rob. So, Don, to get us started, um, I'll, I always like to know about a, an advisor's background. So, tell me a bit. Um, you're out of Vancouver today. Where, where did you get started and, and how did you get into the industry? Uh, I grew up on Vancouver Island in a little town called Shemanus, uh, which is on the east coast of Vancouver Island. Uh, my mother actually was a bank manager, a small town bank manager. My dad was uh, a worker in a sawmill. So I had a very uh, small town upbringing and uh, went to school, high school in the Cowichan Valley on the island. One year in, in a college uh, that's been renamed, but back then it was called Malaspina College. Now it's called the Vancouver Island University. I did my pre-commerce year there, and then I did a four-year commerce degree at UBC okay. in the late 1970s. So UBC grad, just like my daughter. So you graduate from UBC. What was your first job coming out of UBC? Well, the uh, specialty, uh, the option that I was uh, participating in, Commerce was uh, called urban land economics, but it was actually um, real estate, fancy okay. name for real estate. Uh, so I was hired. Uh, I interviewed with a life insurance company, some banks, and uh, but I ended up taking a position with a, a commercial uh, real estate company uh, back then called Block Brothers Commercial, which was indirectly, well, directly owned by the Reichman Brothers, who owned the New York fame back in uh uh, may recognize from the 1980s. So I was involved in some uh, downtown real estate assemblies uh, and uh, near the Bay Block in Vancouver, if you're familiar with Vancouver, uh, participated in some fairly large transactions. But my timing uh, wasn't good from the point of view that uh, if you remember back in the very early 80s, interest rates climbed to the low 20s, yeah. 21% and higher. So I went from being fairly on a pretty successful track in commercial real estate to um, zero, <laughs> zero deals uh, uh, because of the early uh, 80s recession and interest rate peak and spike. Um, so that's hard to imagine especially given what's happened to Vancouver real estate over the last 25 years, that actually real estate at one point in Vancouver was, was depressed. Huge correction. Mortgages having being renewed at 21% because they were afraid that it was going to go up to 25%. So it was a, it was a painful time. Uh, but while I was in real estate, I, I didn't, you know, I enjoyed the experience. It was lucrative at times. Uh, it was fun at times. Uh, but it was a little too institutional for me. You know, you were talking to the same property owners uh, about the same property over and over again. So I took the Canadian securities course while I was 
active uh, in real estate. And I think what happened is that recession accelerated my, my career choice. Uh, so while uh, the real estate dried up, I, I joined the investors group in the summer of 1982. Okay, so investors. Yeah, so I, uh, that's where I met uh, my partners who are still my partners to this day. Uh, and uh, we worked at investors. We went with an independent group in uh, the mid 80s and then we broke away and formed our own uh, branch company in 1987. And we're still in the same building, uh, Scotia Tower in Vancouver. And then your connection with Asante, you joined Asante. Was your company purchased or? We were uh, the Western uh, piece of the Asante puzzle. Asante was created by the consolidation and merger of half a dozen or eight uh, small regional brokerage firms. And uh, our brokerage firm, which I was a part owner of and a director of, it's called FPC Investments, uh, and we uh, merged with Asante, I think, uh, 1997. 1997. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your practice, and I know you've had a specialty that you've been focusing on for most of your career. Tell us about that specialty and, and how you first got involved with that specialty group. I think you're referring to the uh, UBC faculty. Yeah, I have a, a large number of uh, pre-retired and now significant uh, group of retired UBC professors. And uh, I, with a partner in my branch, Frank Danielson, we did some seminars out there. Uh, we, uh, you know, I had the connection with UBC. I was very familiar with it. Uh, I had some clients out there and then through referrals and seminars and uh, a little bit of direct marketing, uh, got a significant number of UBC professors who, when they were approaching retirement, typically would, we would start working together and I would do a plan. Uh, so uh, easing into retirement for them was easier um, because, uh, you know, they had confidence in, in uh what their capital could do in terms of funding their retirement. Did a lot of them have a pension or, and did that, did you convert that pension over to assets in their RSP or anything like they, that? They, or? they did have a, uh, a mobile pension, but um, my philosophy uh, was uh, if uh, we agreed to work together, I would manage half that value and leave half in the pension fund. Okay. Uh, that, was, was their pension indexed or not? Uh, it was a what's called a defined uh, purchase pension plan uh, or contribution pension plan, which means that each individual took market risk. Okay. Uh, money purchase pension plan is another name for them. And uh, they uh, would have some choices at UBC uh, with various risk levels. So I helped them choose the rest risk levels while they were accumulating. And then when it came time to uh, retire or get income, we would diversify, keep half in the pension plan, take half and bring in some other sub-advisors that I would select for them. And uh, I would be the steward of their retirement, basically. So if we were to look at your average client, would they be a husband and wife? With What would their investment assets be on average, would you say? I, uh, my sweet spot would be in the one to... Six, seven million. 
Uh, so uh, my average would be around two million. So certainly wealthy Canadians. Affluent, yeah. yeah. Uh, they often don't think of themselves as wealthy, but uh, you know, if you look at demographics and stratify the general population, they're they're affluent, uh, but don't consider themselves wealthy. Yeah, I would say my clients think of themselves as not wealthy as well. So right. that's interesting. Now, would you say professors would be generally conservative or moderate, or or, or they'd be aggressive in terms of their investment strategy? Pretty typical of the general population as they approach retirement, I say they tend to be conservative, but you would have a statistical array. It's quite an eclectic group. You know, just off the top of my head, I have a retired neurologist, I have a, a, a retired chemical engineer, retired geologist, retired medical professionals, uh, teachers. Uh, uh, I was going to say nuclear physicist, but I don't think I have one of those. I have, uh, I can't remember the term. Okay. So fairly diverse group, but with a little I'll bit remember of a it. Focus, I'll interject later. But a little bit of a focus yeah. on, on the professors. So let's go to some investing themes. And I, I think this where I, uh, my idea is to, you know, share some different ideas with the audience about how different advisors across the country um, may invest their clients' money and how they handle their tax situation. So let's talk about what do you think is the single best strategy in terms of saving for retirement? I would say a regular savings program, a dollar cost averaging uh, system where you're you're contributing a set amount monthly. Because what that does is it evens out your experience. Uh, you're buying more shares when markets are in a, in a downswing and you're buying less shares when they're more expensive. And in essence, that that is exactly what a money purchase pension plan is. You know, when you get your paycheck and you see your monthly deduction for the pension uh, being taken off, yeah, every month you are getting uh, that month's pricing on, on the securities that you're buying. So as I've explained to many clients, uh, recent history that probably March of 2020, in that COVID downswing, that monthly uh, buy into their pension plans or RSPs if they had something set up uh, was probably the best single investment that they will Right, because they're buying when everything's on sale and and they're not thinking about it. They're not stopping the investment plan. They're just going ahead and letting it happen. Buying when there's panic. And if it was in the pension plan, it would have happened. So if they're doing their own savings, why shouldn't it happen as well? Exactly. Let's talk about diversification. Um, you know, in the early days, diversification was you had a couple of different mutual funds and let them do the diversification. How has your diversification strategy evolved over time? Well, I, I think back in the 80s and 90s, it was all about trying to beat the market. And uh, I certainly attempted to do that and sometimes was successful and other times was not. Um, and as I, I believe I grew wiser over the years and decades, I, I come to learn and believe that it's not about beating the market, it's capturing what the market has to offer. So if, uh, if you're going to achieve your goals, uh, accumulate capital that will adequately fund uh, the duration of your life. It's not that 
important that you earn 8% and everybody else earns 7 What it is important is that your capital outlives you. Uh, you, right. don't, you don't run out of money. And uh, so once you have that mental shift, you uh, realize in doing some research, uh, I, I became what, what in the industry is known as an evidence-based advisor. So anybody could have a hot hand. You can look at uh, uh, any mutual fund sorting program and find out who's had spectacular five or 10 years. But the, the issue is whether that's repeatable. Uh, and there's been a lot of research done academically uh, and statistically, uh, uh, what actually works, what, what, what is probably luck. Um, so over the last 20 years or so, I, I became an evidence-based advisor dealing with factor-based investing where you invest in themes that actually have been proven over decades to actually work over the long term. And that's worked for you and your clients are happy with that? Yes. Uh, you know, there's there's two levels of, of uh, relationship with a client. You know, there's providing the, the detail, the uh, experience, the portfolio experience. But with long-term clients, it's really about trust. And and uh, they trust you. You are doing your homework. You're, you're acting as a fiduciary for them in terms of selecting the best, uh, what I call sub-advisors, uh, to uh, implement uh, this evidence-based in investing. And they, they, I would say clients that have been clients for longer than a decade, you know, we have an update meeting, 10, 15 minutes is on the portfolio. Okay. You know, it, it's... Uh, the rest is on the plan. The rest is on the plan. All the homework's been done. You know, risk tolerance has been tested. Risk capacity has been tested. And uh, we've come up with the parameters. So it's... it's uh, maintenance mode, and then you, you react, you deal with life events. Uh, so things like, for, for my clients typically now, uh, I have a number of clients who are helping children uh, buy their first home. Right. Uh, so maybe initially 20 years ago, doing that wasn't part of the plan, but we adapt the plan. Right. Yeah. And uh, their kids are struggling getting for first, especially if they want to be in Vancouver. Especially in Vancouver and, you know, Toronto is yeah. a similar situation. So I would say if there's been a trend over the last 10 years, that's that's been one uh, intergenerational assistance in, in, in buying real estate. So we talked a little bit about the investment strategy. Um, in a previous podcast, I've talked a lot about income tax strategies, reducing income. What are some you know, off the top of your head, what are two or three strategies that you deploy with your clients to make sure each client's doing at least these two, three things? Well, uh, taking advantage of what, what's available, uh, you know, the simple things. Uh, in retirement, quite often I have clients for one spouse, high income, uh, accumulated a big pension or big RSP. Uh, and then once you're retired, uh, you're able to split that. Uh, right. with the low income stuff. So that, that, that is a huge, uh, saving. Interesting. There's a, there's another aspect to that, uh, which is less pleasant because, uh, if, uh, um, one spouse predeceases the other, you have to warn your clients their tax rate is going to go up, you know, because they were able to split, uh, their income, uh, using that pension splitting availability. Uh, but if that's not available, uh, on the death of the first spouse, some clients, uh, suffer tax shock because uh, 
right? right. Their tax rates go up very significantly. Yeah, they move up a couple of brackets yeah. and, and they're paying almost two, twice as much as they did when they were a couple. Exactly. Yeah, so it has a huge impact. What about uh, life insurance, disability, critical illness insurance? Has that been a part of your practice? Has that been something you've recommended to your clients over the years or what are your thoughts on that? Well, absolutely. Uh, it's an important part of a plan. I found my, my passion is more on the planning and the investment side. I am licensed for insurance, but within our team, we have a, a CLU or a chartered life underwriter who, who does that analysis. It's extremely important to uh, do that correctly and cover off what are called contingent risks, um, you know, catastrophe, uh, uh, injury or an inability to work or, you know, ultimately a, a death. So today there seem to be a lot of distractions out in the marketplace. And we've talked about cryptocurrencies in previous podcasts and SPACs and uh, non-refundable tokens, meme stocks. There's, a, there's always a flavor of the day. What is your thought on all of that? And how do you handle that with your existing clients? Do you, suggest they have a piece in Bitcoin or in any of these meme stocks or what do you do? Not as yet, certainly not for my retired clients. You know, if you've already achieved the goal of having your retirement adequately funded, uh, there really is no reason to take risk uh, where something uh, could be extremely volatile and uh, affect your uh, your uh, retirement comfort. Um, for younger clients, I do have uh, one client uh, who's in his 30s and uh, I've had the conversation and we've actually done a little bit of dabbling okay. with with, uh, with crypto because there are institutional ways now to participate. Right. Uh, right. But it, it's, I would call dabbling uh, with the higher uh, or with clients with a higher risk tolerance who are much younger, not my core client base. So we've talked about how you would deal with some of those things. Let's talk about the hardest part that you find being a financial advisor. What's the most difficult thing you do and what's the most value that you bring to, to your clients? I'll start with the uh, last question first. I think uh, the biggest thing we bring to the clients is a sense of comfort a sense of faith in their future in, in terms of uh, the financial issues are taken care of. Ultimately, my clients and our clients in the industry, when you really distill it to its essence, is they want to know they're going to be okay. That's the fundamental question. That's why they're hiring. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's the biggest value, you know, whether it's a... Uh, a shock event in their personal lives or uh, and you're there for them uh, when they need you and you help uh, them through a, a rough time, uh, you know, that, that brings the biggest satisfaction. I would say what brings me the least satisfaction of the, of the business is uh, just the administration. Uh, you know, as you know, we are, we are heavily regulated um, and uh, in the industry, there is a trend to, uh, I won't call it over-regulation, but trying to get the bad apples caused a lot of the good apples. Uh, have to do a lot more work yeah. and, 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 and demand uh, a lot more from their clients. Yeah, too. We, need, we need extra administrators just to do the paperwork. 
uh, and uh, ultimately that adds to the cost that uh, the clients ultimately. So one final question, if you could start your career over again as a financial advisor, is there anything you would do differently? I think I'd become evidence-based sooner. You know, back then, uh, you had to go through that learning journey. And a lot of the research that, that uh, I know you do the same, uh, same philosophy in terms of uh, uh, providing solutions to your clients. Back then, uh, it was a new field of study, you know, for us that have been in for many decades. And the evidence was there, but it was new. Uh, and uh, what happened, uh, over, you know, in the late 20th century and certainly the uh, first 20 years of, of this century, it became more mainstream. Um, so, and, you know, passive investing is one, one example of that. Right. Yeah, we, we have a more sophisticated solution, a factor-based solution. Uh, some areas are called quant investing, uh, where you have a very dynamic under the hood operation, uh, but it's uh, very systemic, uh, uh, evidence-based, and uh, well-implemented. Don, thank you so much for joining us today. I have one thing to add. I remembered the uh, the client, the astrophysicist. That's it. There you go. (laughs) I don't think I have any astrophysicists on my uh, client list today, so I can honestly say that. Enjoyed it. This is... Rob from the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management with Think Smart. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please reach out to us. We'd love to continue our series of talking to financial advisors from across the country. listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the previous information, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.